I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. Do you ever feel too ignorant or inexperienced to be used by God, really used by God? You look at those other people, that's other people used by God. I don't know since I don't know the Bible. And I just don't know stuff. <laughs> Leave it to the professionals, right? You ever feel that way? Well, take heart. Because I hope by the end of the message you feel exactly the opposite. Now, you still feel ignorant and inexperienced, because you are. But I'm hoping you don't feel like you can't be used by God. You see, on that seaside hillside, Jesus chooses and then begins training. Right then and there. His 12 young apprentices. And he does this by rightly dividing, in front of everyone, rightly dividing and harmonizing the scriptures that their teachers had been sinfully stitching together. And we called this Frankensteining, if you will, Frankensteining the scriptures. And, there, and, and even when they were uh, uh, rightly dividing, they were failing to declare the deepest meaning. And so he's trying to unlearn his, his 12 by rightly dividing and harmonizing correctly. And, and in so doing, Jesus on that hillside is shining a light on the human heart and revealing how we all tend to twist the truth, to paint a picture, to fit our agenda. I mean, we're all in that boat, right? That's, that's just, we tend to do that. And it's so often so subtle that it goes unnoticed when the picture's been painted that's not completely true. Like it most likely is when most believers picture the 12 teenagers. You know, if you go to church here, you've heard me over and over refer frequently to them as Jesus boys. Is Jesus boys, young It's fun to call them as boys because it's relational and all. But there's a, there's a little more significant reason I do this is to help us as a, as a church unlearn a very distorted picture that's been painted for us. <laughs> Literally. Take a look. That is the incredulity of St. Thomas. Classic painting and, and representative of a lot of classic paintings. This one's by Caravaggio. Well, I must say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little incredulitated myself. <laughs> because how old are those guys? I mean, my goodness. Look at this. This is insane. Right? And I, Caravaggio is a painter, not a theologian. But shame on the teachers of his day. Because they knew or should have known uh, that Jesus was just out of his 20s. Right? I mean, you ever think of it? Just out of his 20s. And Jesus, just out of his 20s, called his disciples, not only his children, which he liked to call them, but every once in a while, his little children, my very young children. Now, I want to show you in Scripture. Uh, it's been a while since I've done this. The actual 12 would have looked a whole lot less like that and a whole lot more like this. That's the picture you need in your head. Of his 12. And we can know this. You know how we can know this? 
We can know this by doing the very thing that Jesus is teaching his boys to do on that hillside there. Rightly dividing and harmonizing and applying his word. You see, if we simply let scripture paint the picture without any unhelping hands. Here's the picture we get in two passages. First one's in Exodus 30, verse 13, talking about the temple tax that every Jew is still aware of. This is no secret. Every male shall give half a shekel. That's Old Testament times. Now, in Jesus' day, the, that, was, that was a different coin, and it was equivalent to two drachmas. So in Jesus' day, that temple tax is two drachmas. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, from 20 years old and above. And yet... After Jesus and his 12, his disciples, arrived in Capernaum, and see, the rabbi, the father, was responsible for his brood because they were young and didn't have money. They're following the rabbi. Uh, so after Jesus and his disciples arrived at Capernaum, the collectors of that annual two drachma temple tax came to Peter, who was the oldest, and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? What's going on here with you guys? You know? Yes, he does, Peter replied. And when Peter came into the house, even though Jesus is there with all 12 now, Jesus said, go to the lake. This is a great story. Jesus says, go to the lake. Throw out your line. Take the first fish that you catch. Open its mouth and you will find. And do you think he paused for a dramatic effect? I just can't imagine him not. And you'll find everyone, wait, but what are you going to find? What are you going to find? A four drachma coin. Take it, give it to them for my tax and yours. Done. And he does, and they all, it's incredible, it's a miracle. Point being, if the other 11 boys, if the rest are exempt, they're not even 20, not even 20 years old. That's at the end of his ministry. So, two and a half years earlier on that seaside hillside, they're not even 18. And scripture in Acts, I put the reference in their uh, transcript. Scripture says that they were all present at Jesus' baptism. Which would have made them 16 at the most when they first began following. Which fits what we know. For I talked about the mission a couple weeks ago. Ancient Jewish tradition says that 15 was the most common age to follow a rabbi. And if you think about it, that changes the entire story. You start reading the Gospels, you go, well, now I get why they act like a bunch of teenagers. Because <laughs> they're a bunch of teenagers. You know? They weren't reputable elders. And so we look, oh yeah, those disciples, right? Not me. because the No, you get the right perspective and you suddenly realize... Maybe God's looking for people on his team that are a little different than you think who he's looking for. They weren't reliable elders. They were sidelined youngsters, disregarded young fishermen learning a trade from dad. Like James and his brother John, who left their father Zebedee in the boat. See, if that doesn't tell you their teens right there. Uh, sorry, dad, but that's Jesus. So, <laughs> and followed him. Remember, these are the two whose mom went to Jesus and asked for a favor for her two sons. And then all the other disciples got so mad at him. 
right? It changes the picture. Like one of them is a despised young government, Roman government tax collector named Matthew, who's the son of Alphaeus. Why are they telling us their dad's names? Well, whose tax booth do you think he's sitting at? It's the old man's. Uh, you know, hey, Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting, uh, who was sitting at the uh, tax collector's booth. Yeah, the old man's tax collector's booth. Got up and followed Jesus. A teen is not going to have a Roman government tax booth. By the way, I just have to say, if today after service uh, you... Uh, go, go look in the mouth of the fish on the sign on the ark. You might, you might just find a uh, Ford Rockma coin there. Kitty Bean put it there. <laughs> uh, these were not religious leaders or theologians. In fact, in scriptural matters, they reliably proved to be ignorant and naive and exasperating. Like when Jesus took him to Jerusalem for his crucifixion. They've been following him a long time. Listening to, to, his, to his teaching. And we're told Jesus took the twelve aside. Now we are rightly dividing and harmonizing uh, the details here. Blue's Mark. Uh, purple's Matthew. Green is Luke. The only way you can see everything Jesus said. Is by taking the same event and all three. And just... Put them together. Harmonize. And so it tells us. Listen to what it says. Jesus. You can't read this story in any one gospel. Jesus took the twelve aside. And told them what was going to happen to him. Here's what he said. We are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written. In the Old Testament. The written. The Bible. By the prophets. About the son of man. Will be fulfilled. The son of man. Will be betrayed. Well that's going to be Judas. To the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. And he will be handed over to the Gentiles. Which he was with Pilate. To be mocked and flogged and crucified. Yes they will mock him. Insult him. Spit on him. Flog him and kill him. But three days later. On the third day. He will rise again. He will be raised to life. But see, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. So how often is that us? He clearly speaks through Scripture. But we often hide the meaning from ourselves by refusing to get to know them so we can hear him. Otherwise, we don't know what he's talking about. Even though the Lord tells us to receive, every one of us individually receive into your heart all my words and hear with your ears. But take heart, take heart. These teens were his chosen team. That's his, that's his voice. This is who he chooses. And like them, we must allow the word to correct our hearing. Because the devil's in the details. Literally, Jesus said to the boys, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a... I think dramatic pause. One of you is a devil. 
Uh, I don't know if I've ta- told you much about my youth pastor from my teens. I had the best youth pastor. His last name, ironically, uh, was God's Word. God's Word. We always call him God's Word. I, I learned God's Word from God's Word. <laughs> he was a role model for me, uh, shaping my faith and has a lot to do with my sense of humor. And he had this fantastic way of wrongly dividing God's word. (laughs) When one of us was pushing his buttons and he's upset, he would just get real serious. And he would quote two passages. I could still see he'd turn and say, Judas went out and hung himself. Go and do likewise. (laughs) And this is such a great example. He's doing it to be funny and it's hilarious. The Pharisees were doing it to be serious, and it's not funny. Oh, and when, whenever, and we could always like talk him into letting us do things that we shouldn't be, really do, but we knew if, the, if he deep down you know, wanted to live vicariously through us, he would let us. So whenever we're trying to talk him into doing something that we knew he wanted to do, but he knew he shouldn't do, we'd get to a certain point, and he would say, Get thee behind me, Satan, and push. (laughs) Get thee behind me and push. You know, the picture, I I tell these stories because that's Jesus' disciples. You know, think of yourself, if you went to youth group, that's Jesus' disciples. And you get that picture in your head, you go, oh my. Oh, I have a new heart for Jesus. Yeah, and if you go read those Gospels, you're going to see every story very different. Very differently. And it's very encouraging. It's hard to, it's hard to say, well, I get, I'm too inexperienced and ignorant. God can't use me. <laughs> Do you know who he picked? Yeah, from the paintings. These really old, distinguished gentlemen who knew everything. Like, nah, got the wrong picture painted there. The picture of Jesus' boys echoes the picture of the disciples of the prophet Isaiah, who said, here am I. And the children, he's talking about his disciples, and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty. Remember when Jeremiah said, I'm too young, I can't do it. Remember Daniel was very young, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, mere kids. You'd be surprised how often God is choosing inexperience and ignorance, the youth, the young. The greatest king in the Old Testament is, we're told, is Josiah. Eight years old when he came to the throne. Just need to get our picture painted right. But the question is why? Why would the Lord purposely select ignorance and inexperience? Well, there's something to be said for ignorance and inexperience. You know why? Because for what the Lord, especially Jesus, at that point needed, these guys were miles ahead of the rest because they had far less to unlearn. I don't, he, he couldn't have done it with those who were entrenched in the traditions. See, those religious rulers had been twisting scripture to paint a pleasing picture for so long. It had become the traditional way of thinking. Jesus just couldn't break through that with so many of them. In other words, they'd created a monster. We talked about this. They created a monster. And I'm telling you, it is hard to kill a monster and to unlearn traditional, especially self-delusional thinking. Because harmonizing 
and Frankensteining both use scripture to interpret scripture. Which makes it really difficult. You know, you, well, what's the difference? The difference is harmonizing happens when scripture is clarified or completed by joining it with a complementary scripture that was intended for that purpose. Whereas Frankensteining happens, this is what we mostly do, by the way. Frankenstein. Because I want to make a point, so go get me. I want to need that scripture and that there. Now I can make my point, because see, the Bible backs me up. Frankensteining happens when scripture is compromised or corrupted by joining it with an out-of-context scripture. And if we don't know God's word, then we won't know when anyone's doing either one. That's why it's so important that we, we just not, you don't have to read your Bible to understand it. We're told you can't understand it. You read it to know it. You become like children. We, we can all know it. And if you know it, he'll use it. Speak to you, head and heart. A Jesus phrase, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard, but I tell you. We talked about this. It's, it's regarding rightly dividing. And it's the core of our faith. Which is why his very first apprenticeship training, right then and there, focused so much on the need for unlearning. And so I'm going to give you the last little bit of the you've heard, but I've said, or but I say. And it's in Matthew 5. Again, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath. But keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. See, if you read ahead, you know that's where you're supposed to emphasize the words. And to the Lord also means in the name of the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne. Now you're going, I don't get, I wouldn't do that. But they did. Okay, it's painting a picture. Either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, it's God's footstool, or by Jerusalem. It's the city of the great king. And oh my goodness, do not swear by your head. For you can't even make one hair white or black. No, no. Simply let your yes be yes. And your no. No. Anything beyond this. That comes from the evil one. And this is what's at the heart of the matter. Be it God's word or our word. It be all about integrity. And you're never too young or too old for integrity. That means no excuses, no hesitation, no loopholes. Pharisees, Pharisees big into loopholes. <laughs> Pharisees love the loopholes. Uh, they thought, there's an old W.C. Fields joke. Someone caught him reading a Bible and sat once and they asked him, are you reading a Bible? I didn't know you were faithful. And he says, just looking for loopholes. <laughs> The Pharisees big into loopholes. They thought and taught. And now try to follow this twisted logic. That because scripture was so specific about vows made in God's name being kept. That vows made not in God's name must not matter so much. Twisted, right? And so that's why in Jesus' day, everyone was demanding very specific words with a promise or a pledge, which was forcing uh, the rulers to come up with these truly twisted ways of determining now just what 
constituted a vow in, under God's name. And so Jesus points this out. This is what he's coming on the attack here in Matthew 23. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, because see, it's Herod's temple. It means nothing. They can just break that. Who cares? But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, which belonged to God, but he's bound by his oath. You blind fools. I just love, they just, doesn't even bother to, to correct it. It's just, what can be said? You blind fools. Which, by the way, shows, because a couple weeks ago we were talking about this, you don't go to hell for calling someone a fool. Right? As long as it isn't with hate. And it is absolutely true. And it's a loving confrontation. You see, honest to goodness seeking is the only path to harmonizing. So if you are using scripture to validate an agenda or a position or a whatever, you're most likely Frankensteining. Just examine yourself. No judgment. Just examine yourself. And see, if you, if you take your pieces to go make your point, and you have Frankenstein, I mean, you say, well, this is God's word. <laughs> you know? Just say what the Bible says. Anything like that. Then you're calling your monster by his name. And oh my goodness, you call your monster by his name. In Jerusalem, oh, we have a problem. Because he commands us to guard his good name. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I'm not talking about swear word swearing, but pledging, promise swearing. Does it bother you when people do this? It does me. It's one of my little pet peeves when people just flippantly say, I swear to God, I swear to God, I swear to God. It's like, oh my goodness, I swear to God. I swear to God, I can't stand that line. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it was bothering Jesus to hear his people and likely his boys saying, I swear by heaven, I swear by heaven, I swear by earth, I swear by Jerusalem, I swear by my head. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why, but they swore by their head. It's not an exhaustive list. It's a type. Don't laugh. We swear on our life, on our children, and on our mother's grave. I swear on my mother's grave. They swore by their head. We cross our heart and hope to die and stick a needle in our eye. All of a sudden, head don't sound so dumb. <laughs> They'd be like, wait, you do what? With your eye? No. And oh my goodness, we're on the Bible. No, no, no. We don't settle for just one Bible. No, no. I'm going to swear on a stack of them. Give me a stack of Bibles to swear on. But you see, if we violate that trust, it costs God his good name. Even if we don't, you know, you don't get out of it by going, well, I don't ever say things like that. No, see, here's the thing. Even if we don't use his name directly, if we claim to be his follower, it's implied. And FYI, just to clear things up here, this is not referring to things like officially swearing to the truth, like in a courtroom. Know how we know? I think at this point, we, we did this with the first service. It was really kind of funny. When I say something like, you know how we know? You might as well just yell out, the Bible. Because that's how we know. When I say, you know how we know? The Bible. Because Jesus did. Swore in a courtroom, not yelled out the Bible. 
Jesus swore in court. Uh, during his trial, the high priest said to Jesus, I charge you under oath by the living God. It's one of his names. Under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, I'll tell you under oath, the living God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. And that's okay. What's not is the self-serving and even self-deceiving swearing. Because as a believer, there's no way to say yes or no without involving God and our Lord Jesus. Because there's no way to sidestep integrity. Which is why, uh, ironically, it's not even wrong under the right circumstances to call on God as our witness. You know how we know? The Bible! <laughs> That's good. <laughs> no, I wanted a little more like the Bible. Uh, <laughs> that Bible again. Because Paul did it, and more than once. Here's one example in Philippians. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Oh, seems, seems to be two exceptions I could find in which, in which the Lord will gladly serve as your witness. Truth and love. Same things that we're called to serve as his witness. Truth and love. The very things that are diluted and defiled every time we allow our yes to be anything less. And our no to be, well, not so. Truth, love. Whenever anyone uses God's good name. To shore up their uh, less than perfect reputation of reliability for being trustworthy. They are, we are not so subtly buying trust on God's credit. Rather than glorifying God's word as being totally trustworthy. We often use it to persuade others that our word is. But our word affects our witness of the word. So, only say yes when you mean nothing less and no. When you know that you know that you know, you mean no. Otherwise, we profane the name of the one whose word we represent. See, his children, they don't look for loopholes and easy outs because they see their word as his word. Especially since, being his faithful ones here, we are well aware, I'm sure, of Jesus' warning that a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man now brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, as in warn you, that everyone, good or bad, will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. And here comes the big warning. For by your words, it's like he's saying, you do get this, right? You will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. Because the mouth speaks what's in the heart. And he judges the heart. And so, let's face it, as we wrap up here, we all face situations where we're tempted to weasel. We all do. Whether it with his word or our own. But those are the situations when we are invited to offer that living 
sacrifice of the truest form of worship, no matter how young or how old we happen to be. So don't let ignorance or inexperience hold you back. Let's open our ears to his voice and let our word and God's word steadily, step by step, become one and the same word. Amen? Okay, well, let's pray. Father God, we love you and worship you and, and commit to rightly dividing your word. Holy Spirit, guard our hearts. Help us to guard God's good name. Lord Jesus, how can we praise you enough? Thank you enough for choosing us to be on your team. We love you. And everybody said, Amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.